Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. So imagine you're, say, on Facebook or wherever, and you're scrolling through news, and you you come across a news site that you never heard of, but it has interesting stuff about local issues, maybe about some political races. You click on it, you read it, and you move on. What you may not know about that is that it may not be a news site at all. It certainly won't be necessarily journalism. It could be part of a sort of growing network of sites that are posing as local news sites, but are actually political or policy-oriented or aiming at doing something else entirely. They're called pink slime sites. And they're growing astronomically as legitimate local news continues to decline. Their, their corporate structures, their makeup, their funding is incredibly complicated. It's opaque. And that's why I'm really happy to be joined today by Priyanjana Bengani. She's a senior research fellow at the Tao Center for Digital Journalism at Columbia Journalism School, which is also the publisher of CJR. We've published several pieces by Pre about this phenomenon, the latest last week, which profiles one of the big players here. Welcome, Pre. thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So the why are these things called pink slime sites? So I think the main reason behind that is because they're pumping out a ton of information, not all of which is good. It was a term that was actually coined by Dan Kennedy, I think. Back in 2011, 2012, there used to be an organization called Genetic, which was basically called out for faking quotes and faking bylines and plagiarizing material. And somebody who worked there coined the term pink slime. And it's related to meat? It, it, is, it is related to meat and the stuff that goes inside, I think, a sausage. That's disgusting. And so, so the idea was that this is, this is sort of junk and gunk that's going into the kind of information ecosystem. Yeah. So when you first started reporting on this, you identified if the first story that you you did for us, you identified I think it was 450. That's right, of, yeah. of these sites around the country. And what what is it grown to now? What how many of these things are out there? There's there's somewhere between 1200 and 1300 sites right now. It effectively what we saw happen was in December 2019 we had identified 450 sites. And then when we published our second piece in this, which I think was in August last year, we saw that the network had grown to almost triple that. And more recently, we've seen just in this year, a handful of sites crop up, but it's nowhere near tripling the original network. So let's let's talk about this um, from the perspective of the news consumer who, I mean, I, I sort of painted this picture of this fictional person who's like sitting around and just cruising around and stumbles across these, but what do they look like? What kind of content do they have? What is, what are they mimicking? How does it come across to somebody who's just sort of scrolling through news? They seem to have multiple websites per state. They're using similar, you know, combinations of terms. 
as local news sites would do. So you have things like the Chicago City Wire or the Dallas City Wire. Would you find a range of of stuff that you would find on any local news site or is it more concentrated on politics? What you have over here is you have about 1,200 to 1,300 sites. Most of them are pretty dormant other than, you know, basically creating loads of templated stories. In some analysis that we had done last year, we found that over 90% of the stories that are published on these sites are either templated or automated or driven off public data sets. And then there's a really small fraction that is reported out. And what's reported out seems to be a combination of political interests, corporate interests, and every now and again, you end up having, you know, something that's relevant to current events. So they, they, they make a big effort to try to look like every other local news site that we've seen. Your latest piece for CGR, based on the Tau research that you did, tracked the provenance of a, of a bunch of these sites. And you found, it was super interesting, because you found that the network has ties to the Tea Party movement, to dark money conservative politics, one even to a Catholic political advocacy group that was campaigning against uh, Joe Biden before the 2020 election. So their efforts to sort of present themselves as benign is sort of belied by who's funding them and what their goals are. So what are they trying to do? They seem to have struck up these collaborations of partnerships with Nonprofit organizations, and they're effectively churning out a lot of material that aligns with the missions of these nonprofit organizations. So, for example, if you take something like the Convention of States uh, of a nonprofit called the Citizens for Self Governance. And they want to trigger uh, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. And one of the things that they were really big on early during the pandemic last year was anti-lockdown protests. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you saw this manifest itself in coverage on the metric media sites where you had loads of stories basically saying the lockdowns are bad and as a result of the lockdowns, states are going to suffer, etc. When you start digging through it, you'd start seeing more and more such examples where you'll have members of the conventions of states being quoted across multiple metric media stories without any disclosures or disclaimers that they actually have some form of collaboration. Let me, I'll get back to like how you figured out who was behind these things, but so you have this kind of network of really fake sites that are pretending to be one thing, but are actually something else. But is there evidence that their coverage is bleeding out into media that aren't part of the networks? I mean, that legitimate local news sites are either picking up their work or, or coming in reporting behind them to sort of replicate what they're doing? Is there, is, is there a sign that it's growing outside of this closed network? That's a good question. A few of their stories have been flagged by fact-checking websites. So be it PolitiFact or Snopes or, you know, one of the, one of the fact-checking websites. 
And the two stories that come to mind on this right now, one was from the Milwaukee City Wire, which was around voter fraud during the 2020 election. And the other one was around wind energy being responsible for the Texas power outages during the heavy winter storm earlier this year. So something is evidently happening that these stories are then ending up getting flagged onto these fact-checking websites. Yeah. But other than that, I've not seen, at least I, in my research, I haven't come across any, you know, these sites being referenced to by other local news sites or anything. So how hard was it to figure out um, what these networks are like, how they're connected, who's behind them? It was, it's been an ongoing process um, for a couple of years for us now. I think what happened was when, you know, this network was first flagged, it was flagged by the Lansing State Journal, who reported on outlets that had cropped up in Michigan that looked like local news, but evidently weren't. Mm -hmm. And they had started piecing together some pieces of this puzzle in terms of who some of the principals behind this network were. And what we were able to do over the course of the last couple of months is try to figure out some of their funding and try to figure out some of their collaborators outside the main actors, you know, who are part of this network. So you mentioned um, in your piece, the one, the most recent piece for CGR, that you use threat intelligence tools, um, and you named a few of them, um, as well as IRS filings and and Google ad libraries. What what do you what are these threat intelligence tools, and what are you talking about? So, this is kind of amazing. Where you know, if there's a website somewhere using digital forensic techniques, you can typically somehow or the other trace some form of provenance or connectivity or something. And there are various tools that allow you to do that, which, you know, are written by folks and who are, you know, very, very smart and, you know, who are just creating these tools for folks like me to use. And so one of these is called Risk IQ. Yeah. One of them is called DNSDB. And DNSDB is done by a company called Farsight Security. And what these folks are effectively doing is they're collecting a lot of metadata on domains. So, for example, I think I had mentioned the Chicago City Wire earlier. So what these sites will do do is, or what these intelligence tools will do, is effectively give you information around what IP address is this domain sitting on, what other domains are also accessible here? What is the Google Antics ID they're using? What's the Facebook Pixel ID they're using? And effectively, what you can then do is you can reverse look up everything to try and build out the entire network. Mm-hmm. So we had done all of that when we first reported on this network back in 2019. But more recently, DNSDB created something called Flexible Search. What it allowed us to do was find out who some of the collaborators of this network were, because they all had dedicated pages on one of the other projects that 
this network runs, which is called Community Newsmaker. So it enabled you to sort of track sort of um, the relationships between the various sites. That's right, yeah. And is this, so let's say I'm a legitimate reporter in a state and I have reason to believe that there are some of these pink slime sites operating where I live. Are these threat intelligence tools available to me or are they expensive or, how, or is it, is it, is it a matter of just calling these people and say, Hey, can you help me? Or how does, how would, how would, what, what advice do you have for somebody at the local level who's trying to figure this out? So in my experience, the people who are, you know, working at these organizations are incredibly helpful and they, you know, so there have been occasions when I've just called them up and said, I don't want all the access. Can you just look up this one specific thing for me when I didn't have bigger access? And they were more than happy to help when I explained why I was doing what I was doing. Mm. So I think as long as you know about the, these tools' existence, you can start doing some of this yourself. There are other tools as well, some of which are free, some of which are freemium, and some of which, you know, if you email folks, they'll give you limited access or access for a limited period of time or something. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there are various ways to skin this cat. You mentioned um, at the beginning that um, that the the ex sort of explosive growth in these that we had seen earlier had slowed. Um, that you know it went from four fifty to twelve thirteen hundred, but now it was sort of slowly. It's growing more slowly, or sort of hovering around there. Is that because more people are onto it and they don't think they can get away with? posting these sites is something that will that will sort of convince news consumers or is there another reason that they're not growing so all i can do here is speculate but i think the one thing that's worth flagging is deseret news reported on this network last year and they had spoken to one of the folks behind this network who had said that they want to grow the network to 15000 sites uh -huh. and you know, so there are like more than 10,000 of that right now. But I don't know if they are actively growing this network and we just haven't, you know, seen evidence of that yet or whether they've slowed down and they're concentrating their efforts on the, you know, sites they already have up and running. I assume the people involved in this, well, I know, actually, that they didn't want to talk to you. No. When we reached out to them, you know, to speak to them, we never heard back. Yeah. So I think the reason this is particularly like timely right now is because we're already starting to think a lot about the midterm elections, which are you know only a year away, astonishingly. And is it your guess or expectation that this is that these are going to grow as we get closer to that election? I think even if the number of sites don't grow by the time midterms arise, um, we will still see, you know, a lot of stories, especially in races that are expected to be close. Yeah. Is this overwhelmingly uh, dominated by conservative, uh, uh, conservative issues or are there kind of liberal versions of this too? So this specific network that we're talking about um, is conservative, but even on the progressive side, you do have the Korea network. 
you know, Open Secrets has done a really great piece on them, you know, chasing some of their money back to more progressive dark money groups. Uh-huh. So I think this is across the political spectrum. This is not a conservative-only thing. This is not a progressive-only thing. But as races are becoming tighter or closer, it do, it just takes a handful of votes to swing a race one way or the other. So I think every little does end up making a difference. And they are sort of riding the coattails of the legitimacy of news, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, which is ironic because, you know, we're reading a lot about how there's a lack of trust in journalism or in news. And these people actually see the opposite. They see the advantage of appearing to be part of that world. I think it's that um, the other side of it is also that, I mean, you know this far better than I do, but, you know, with local news is really struggling right now and trying to find a sustainable business model. And we've done some work, like we as in the Tau Center and CGR have done some work on, you know, tracking layoffs and stuff through the pandemic in local news. And it's been, it's been completely gutted. And on the other hand, you have Alden. So, you know, that's the environment in which a lot of legitimate local news exists. And as that's effectively taking a beating, it's creating a space for more politically motivated local news outlets to appear. Yeah. Well, Priya, I really appreciate your work. It's great to have it in CJR. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. You can read Pri's pieces about the pink slime phenomenon on CGR.org. You can follow our daily coverage on our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next time.